Parker, put the Maple Leafs cap Friday on. Ronnie Buffa is trying to get me to wear it. Our producer, Mark Buffa, wants us to uh, wear Leaf regalia. We're across the country in 360. There's great wide swaths of the country that hope the Leafs never win another game. 590-590 is the text line. If you've got any thoughts on uh, the Jays, Major League Baseball, or interview with Jason Stark, pitch clock, lots of fans out there. And uh, we will go to the text line later in the show. Do you like the idea of the pitch clock? I don't. I do. I'm, I'm liking all this stuff now that I never thought I'd like. Not, I'm liking not, all of it. Not 14 seconds. Well, yeah. I, Hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports, period, end of story. And especially now, I will say with this. all the shifts and how hard they throw and the secondary pitches and the right-handed specialist. And I think the most important uh, thing man, is going to be it, a tough sale. If this should go without saying, but if the baseball itself is an issue, you should probably figure that out before you try to reinvent the wheel. All the home runs. Like have you been should hit probably try to days. figure Doesn't out. Seem like it is an issue. Unless Major League Baseball listened and gave a new batch of balls to us. But see that, you know what? Now that's the problem. I'm going to ask, okay, they did that last year. They used two different balls. They, uh, I sure, mean, that sure they, listen. sounds like they were catching a lot of heat and all of a sudden the balls start flying out of the yard. What? Do you, I, part huh. of the problem Major League Baseball has right now is there is a real lack of trust among the players, and frankly, among fans, who the fans who think about this thing, a lot of fans, and I'm not criticizing, fans go to the ballpark, they want to see baseball, that's fine, but there's a certain segment of fans that, that think about this stuff, and there's a certain segment of broadcasters, we think about this stuff, and sometimes I feel like my chain's being yanked. You know, sometimes I look at something and I go, is that, okay, did that happen because that really happened or did that happen because the ball was different? And that's, you know, we talk about gaming and 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 legalized gambling and all that. I mean, you got to convince people that your product isn't fixed, that on a Saturday afternoon on a national televised game, you're not using, you know, bowling balls or, 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 or cue balls. Whereas the game in, hell, I don't know, in Milwaukee that's being played later that day, you're using Nerf balls. I, it's, so it's, it's an, I, I think it's a real issue because there's no trust right now between players and the commissioner's that's, office. That's a fact. I've walked up to guys in batting practice and said, man, that, that ball went a long way. Oh, he said, that's a can of corn in the game. It looked right at me and said that. So oh, yeah. you know, there's guys are thinking think there's about no it. trust. Guys are oh, thinking about it, and, th- and that's that. Be that that to me that that's a real issue. We could talk about pitch clocks and all this stuff, but until there's that that trust is reestablished, I think there's going to be there's going to be some pushback. You know, we talked about this last week as well. There was an economic aspect of this too. Like you get paid, you don't get paid for barrel barrels. You get paid for Home runs, batting average, RB, all the stuff that everybody tells you doesn't count anymore. That's how you get paid in baseball for the most part. If you're a run producer, you get paid. Yeah, and offense is down. If offense is down. How do you win a triple crown if you can't hit homers? I'm just saying. There's an economic aspect to this, too, from the player's point of view. I mean, I'll tell you what. I don't, if, if I'm a player in my arbitration years, you're damn right I'm. 
I'm skeptical about everything. I'm chapped. I'm my I'm my chapped. ass is burned. I mean, it is. And now you're adding a, you're adding a pitch clock to it. Yeah, hurry up and get out in four. Hang on, seconds. this is where I'm going to be making my money. And more and more players, we've talked about this. More and more players are in that category where their next year's contract isn't necessarily guaranteed. Ooh. Like Bo doesn't know what he's going to make next year. There he got an go. idea. He doesn't know what he's going to make next year. George Springer does. George Springer doesn't play for the rest of this year. He knows what he's making next year. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys don't know what they're making next year. And I picked Bo as an example. I'm not using that as an excuse. Pick any player. A lot of guys don't know what they're going to be making next year because they are still in the arbitration or the pre-arb process. And they're looking around and going, what the hell? I mean, it's human nature. I sure would. You really think they're going home going, okay, they're paying us a higher minimum salary. They got to make up for that somehow. If we do something to the baseball, maybe we can make up for it a couple of years down the road. Uh, Look, you know, the baseball players are thinking that. I'd be thinking that. I'd be thinking that. I would too. Show me, show me, give me a reason why I shouldn't think that. Go back through baseball history and give me a reason why I shouldn't suspect Management, management's a bad example, but why I shouldn't suspect the commissioner's office and the powers that be in the game of trying to depress my income. We know about collusion. I mean, you go back, do your reading. A lot of things have happened. Now, admittedly, we are at a stage now where the minimum salary is a lot, a lot, seven <laughs> times what it used to be when oh, I started when I covering playing. When uh, I was playing, you know, four times, whatever. I mean, it's a lot. Twenty grand I was making. Yeah, it's what is it now? Seven thirty, seven seventy. No, it's, uh, seven, 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 seven and change. Seven ish. Okay, it's a lot. That's like is, September call up. Right. So think about what a September call up makes now. Yeah. You you, you divide a, a September by six. Yeah. Seven hundred by six. You tell me a September call up's not a big deal now. I never buy poo poo that and says, oh, why are you calling up so no, many I've guys? Never said well, that. I've 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 listened. try and be one of those guys, which is exactly who I was trying to be, and getting called up. You're making more in that one little month now yeah. than you make an entire season at the minor league level. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. Anyhow, that that's uh, kind of my little soapbox thing about uh, depressed. That's a good one. Depressed. It's a good one. Oh, I I. Just, they, it's, the, it's the trust has to be the trust has to be reestablished. There are a lot of things. There are a lot of things base. There, there are a lot of basic things. The commissioner's office, the, the powers in the game, and they know who they are. And it's not every owner. There are some owners that are engaged, and some owners that aren't necessarily engaged. The powers that be in the game. There are some things they need to address before they start thinking about pitch clocks and and automated balls and strike systems. There are some yeah. some some basics. You, starting with the freaking ball. Is starting with the ball. If you're a real baseball fan, all you got to do is start looking at home runs the other way. If you start seeing guys going, the ball's traveling, and that ball's going the other way, and it's backspinning, and it's leaving the yard, they've done something to the baseball. Yeah. Anyhow, like I said, and I know, listen, I've, I've talked to guys at the ballpark. I know that guys are sitting there doing the math and saying, you know, if runs continue to be at a premium, I may not make as much money there next year is. as I thought I'm going to make. Gotta make Anyhow, none of, a lot of those guys aren't, you know, they're not going to be going to food banks because of that. But say anybody a small else. a window to make a ton of money. 
Anybody else goes up to you and says, you know what? We've just fixed things, so you're only going to be making $1.1 million instead of $2.7 million next year. How do you feel about that? I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with that. Huh. Anyhow, let's bring in Jack Curry of the Yes Network. Jack, thanks for joining Kevin and myself. Uh, congrats. You've got a book coming out with Paul O'Neill uh, three weeks from today, I believe, May 24th. Swing and a hit. That is correct, Jeff. I collaborated with Paul O'Neill on this book, and it's a lot of hitting principles and hitting theories. And Paul won a batting title. He had over 2,000 hits. He won five World Series rings. And we try to tell his story, but we also bring in people who influenced him. So there's, there's a chapter that involves a lot of Pete Rose. There's Mattingly. There's Jeter. There's Joe Torre. Ted Williams once called him and, and gave him a hitting lesson over the phone. So... We tried to tell his story of hitting, and hopefully people will enjoy the anecdotes and enjoy uh, Paul digging into a lot of what happened in his career. Yeah, well, one of the things with guys like Paul O'Neill and David Cohn and guys like that, in addition to being terrific players and terrific pitchers, uh, and I always think of this when I hear when I hear Cohn tell stories, the, the people that they played with, Jack, like their contemporaries, the people they played with or the people they played against or the people they came in contact with who may have had an impact at some point in their career, that particular generation ran into a lot of people that, you know, nobody's going to talk to Ted Williams anymore. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, well, I don't think they will anyhow, but uh, that generation had access, still had access to a lot of the the stories and, and, and the... Um, you know, sort of, sort of the narrative aspect of the game that gets lost now. Very well said, Jeff. And I don't want to give away the whole book, but you bring up Ted Williams. Paul also tells a great story that I had never heard before about Yogi Berra and how Yogi Berra influenced him during one of his World Series runs with the Yankees. And I'm glad you brought up Cone. I, I did a book with Cone a couple of years ago. It made the New York Times bestseller yeah, list. That's a great book. David's stories were so good. So I hope that this one follows suit. But the Ted Williams chapter was probably my favorite chapter to write because here was Paul O'Neill, this accomplished hitter, talking about the voice of God in terms of hitting, calling him. So we had a lot of fun with it, and and Paul's an engaging guy with some great stories to tell. So I hope uh, people will be interested in it. Um, is Is what the Yankees are doing right now sustainable? That's a great question. I will say this. When they started the season averaging three runs a game in the first 13 games and hitting under 200 with runners in scoring position, I knew that wasn't the team that they were. I knew that this offense was better than that. I mean, if I'm taking your question literally, is it sustainable for Rizzo to hit nine home runs every 23 games or Judge to hit eight homers every 22 games I think he's played? Probably not. But can this offense be one of the better offenses in the American League, Jeff and Kevin? Yes, I think it can be. I think they underperformed last year. And when everyone was talking this year about the additions they made, and you guys know Donaldson well and Kiner Falefa and ascending Higashioka to the starting catcher job because Sanchez was gone, I kept bringing up this fact. LeMahieu, Hicks, Gallo, and Torres all underperformed last year. Mm -hmm. So while you were focusing on the new guys – Don't forget about the guys who didn't do what you expected them to do last year. And if those guys can rise up and be closer to who you think they were supposed to be, then your offense will be a lot better. Do you think the bullpen is deep enough that Booney 
doesn't abuse it early in the season to where when it matters the most, he's going to have most of those big-time guys to go to into the season. Kevin, we did a post-game after the game last night. I was working with Ryan Rucco, and what you just said is exactly what we talked about. And I think it's Boone's greatest challenge this year. It's, it's the tiptoeing of knowing what he can get out of his pitchers. And one thing about Boone, and he's been pretty steadfast about this, as a Yankee manager, there have only been a handful of times where he has used a reliever three days in a row. If he pitches a guy two days in a row, guys, and even if the guy throws 12 pitches and 14 pitches, he shuts them down. So I think my answer to that question is yes, because their depth is unbelievable. This kid, Michael King, who has the thinnest resume in that bullpen, is probably the guy that Boone trusts more than anyone right now. He can come in, give them multiple innings. He's got this Greg Maddox-like sinker, but he's also worked on a, a really interesting breaking pitch, whether you call it a curve or a slider. And then he throws four seamers up in the zone now, too, that he didn't when he first got to the major league. So I think the bullpen is, is the strength of this team. And if they do anything and, and advance in October, a lot of it is going to be because of the pen. Jack, do you think the, the, the way they've made their bullpen up, you know, Miguel Castro came, they, they got him or, or received him. And I, and I was thinking, why? He's, he's not much of a strike thrower, but he does have a power sinker. And you look at all of those guys, it is the power sinker. You know, that's sort of a no-no. You don't throw power sinkers to power hitting lefties because of the bat path and those kind of things. But... If it's 98, 99, a hundo, all of a sudden now you can throw those things. Do you think that's on purpose? Brian Cashman was thinking, okay, I'm going to surround this bullpen, no matter if they're right-handed or left-handed, with a bunch of power sinking, hard-throwing righties. Yeah, I do think it's on purpose. That pitch and that slider breaking pitch that I just mentioned are two of the things they really tried to enforce throughout their pitching staff. But, Kevin, you bring up a great point. Loisaga, great sinker. Holmes, great sinker. Mm -hmm. Castro, very good sinker. And you're right. What do batters not want to do? They don't want to hit the ball on the ground. I was talking to Josh Donaldson at Yankee Stadium the other day, and he said, I can, and you guys know this because you covered him, I can never hit. He said, I never want to hit the ball on the ground. I hit the ball on the ground. I'm a 200 hitter. I've got to get the ball up in the air. Well, I watched the movement last night on on Clay Holmes' sinker. Yeah. When that guy is on, I, I am shocked that anybody hits him. And then I go back to the fact that the Pirates traded him to the Yankees for two minor league infielders who maybe these kids will amount to something, but they were, they were extra inventory for the Yankees. Uh, Yankees did a great job scouting Holmes and, and really reinforcing to him the need to throw that sinker. Jack, how many of these relievers were, were starters? At one point, or let me rephrase that. How many of these relievers at some time were envisioned as starters? Chad Green, definitely. Uh, Michael King, definitely. Right. Uh, Loisica was never, right? Loisica okay. as well. Uh, Castro, you guys know his history better than me. I think he's always been a reliever, yeah. right? He was a guy can... that oh, he he made the team the same year Roberto Osuna did, not he was actually ahead of Osuna when in spring training. Everybody was talking about Castro, and then Osuna had that great game at Yankee Stadium, and, of course, everything flipped. But, yeah, I think he was pretty much known as a reliever. He was going to be a reliever. I was just wondering but if there Chapman, was anything there. with because Chapman, obviously a reliever. Wandy yeah. Peralta, a reliever. 
This kid, Clark Schmidt, they just sent down the other day to get down to 26. He's somebody they envision as a starter. Uh, Litke, a reliever who they okay. kind of pulled off the scrap heap. That guy had been out three years. But, I mean, Jeff, it's, it's amazing, and, and we've all covered this game and been around this game for a long time. I started covering the Yankees in 1990, and even though Tony LaRusso was doing what he did with bullpens and, and Lou Pinella did what he did with the Nasty Boys in 1990, I mean, the bullpen used to be the scrap heap. Mm-hmm. The Goose Gossage, who's in the Hall of Fame, has joked around about that, that most, most relievers are, are failed starters. These days, if you are a bullpen force or a bullpen weapon, if I was ranking the most important pitchers on the Yankees right now, I'd obviously start with Cole because he's their $36 million ace. I'd probably have Severino and uh, Nestor Cortez up there because they're important. I'd have Michael King as, as, as the most important guy coming out of the bullpen for them. That's how good he's been. Does Glaber Torres offensively look different to you? Yes, Kevin, and it, it took some work. And I think last year was a bit of a lost season for him, and it's it's amazing how players can get into habits and bad habits and they can spread for a whole season. You would think with all of the work they do and all the video that they watch that they would get out of those habits. But he has talked about how last year in an attempt to get the ball in the air, he ended up hitting too many ground balls and he never felt like his hands were where he wanted them to be. And he just felt uncomfortable across the last 10 games. He's hitting about 350. And I, I heard you talk about hitting the ball the other way uh, as, I, as I was coming. I, I know that was in a different context, but for Glaber Torres, that is the solution. He needs to hit the ball the other way. And when he's doing what he did last night, that is an extremely positive sign for the Yankees. And, and the other thing, guys, he's 25 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure he ever returns to being the guy who hit 38 homers when he was 22. The baseball was different. Teams were probably still learning who he was, and he was getting challenged more. But I still think Labor Torres is a, a guy you can you can build around and, and believe you're going to get a lot from him. You mentioned Luis Severino, and I thought going into the year that he could be kind of the, the, the wild card in this whole division. If he is the Severino that we think he can be, it makes the Yankees, it, it, makes, it makes everything about that rotation tougher. We saw him against the Blue Jays and, you know, that little little bit of back and forth he had with the, with the Jays dugout. I'm looking at his numbers, Jack. Where, where is he in terms of where the Yankees wanted him to be right now? I'm, just, I'm noticing he's had five innings, five innings, six innings, five innings, five innings. And I understand, you know, obviously baseball's managed differently now. But are they still monitoring stuff with him or are the gloves off with, with Severino? And once the summer hits, we can, expect, we can expect him to be the guy we remember when he was good. I- I would say that they are beyond cautiously optimistic. I would say that they've seen a lot of glimpses of who they believe Severino once was. Now, if you go back since the end of the 2018 season, this is a guy who coming into this year had only pitched about 20 innings. So obviously there's going to be some amount of rust and some level of rust, but I've been impressed with his, his ability to throw strikes. I mean, He's been around the zone. You, you talked about his uh, his stats, Jeff. I mean, 24 innings. He's, he's only walked seven guys. He's averaging about a strikeout an inning. So I think that's a real positive for him. And the one thing that he has is, is really done, and Cole did this a couple of years ago, he developed a changeup. While, while he was out, Severino used to throw a changeup, but he kind of threw it more for show. Mm-hmm. He has developed a changeup that when, when you guys see him pitch next, I mean, it is a – it is an important 
pitch for him. It's a power changeup. He gets swings and misses on it, or he gets weak contact on it. But, Jeff, you hit the nail on the head. He is the wild card. It, if Cole is your ace, you need Severino to be your number two. I know Cortez has been a fantastic story, and I, I think he's a, a terrific pitcher for the Yankees. He's not just a fluke. He, he's a kid who goes out there and gets a lot done. But the best storyline for the Yankees is if Severino can line up behind Cole and, and be an effective number two. Jay, Jays are getting, excuse me, Nestor Cortez in game three. Tell me why, Jack, his fastball is so good. Here's the thing. Fastballs, everybody talks about four-seam fastballs, and they talk about the rising effect. And David Cohn has explained this to me over and over again. Fast, four-seam fastballs don't rise, but some don't drop as much as others. Cortez's doesn't drop as much as guys who throw in the velocity range that he throws. His stays level about an extra three inches. And Kevin, batters just don't see it. You can see him slinging that 91, and batters are befuddled. It, it jumps on them. It looks like 95 or 96. And, I, and I'm going to steal this from Coney because he's told me this a few times. If you remember the Met pitcher, in the 80s, Sid Fernandez. He was a he was a big, portly lefty, and he didn't throw very hard, but batters looked like they were overwhelmed. And David has made the comparison to Fernandez that Cortez's ball jumps on guys, he gets it up in the zone, and he also cuts it. And he, and he throws the cutter on both sides of the plate, and he gets funky once in a while. He gets funky with his release points and his leg kicks, and he he's actually a treat to watch. He's the kind of guy who you would say, this guy probably was an amazing wiffle ball player because he just goes out there and has fun with whatever the heck he feels like doing. Jack, really good of you to yeah. join us today. Thanks so much, man. Uh, be well. I hope uh, hope you and yours are, are, are doing well. And uh, congrats on the book. And we look forward to it, my Thanks, friend. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for your time. Jeff, Kevin, always fun to talk to you guys. Thanks very much. Thanks Take a lot. care. Jack Curry of the Yes Network. Um, the book is out on May 24th, Swing and a Hit. And uh, if you've had Jack, well, first of all, if you haven't read Jack's book with Cohn, any, any book by Jack is good. Jack did a book on uh, Derek Jeter, kind of a raising Derek Jeter thing with, with Jeter's parents that was terrific. But well, uh, Cohn book as well is really good. I wonder, wonder what Paul O'Neill thinks about hitting today. Uh, that's, the, that's the question. This high-octane velocity, uh, beating the shift. Could he beat the shift? Would he try and beat the shift? Is there money in beating the shift? Beating the shift means I choke up. I hit a little jam shot the other way where, where they're not standing. Is, is it? Is it? Is it worth it? That, that's the question you got to ask yourself. That's why hitters don't do it. It's not worth it to them. They don't get paid for it. Everybody yells and screams. Why? Why do they not hit it over there? Because you don't pay them to do that. Yeah. You pay them to hit it over them, and over them means where people are sitting in the stands. And it'd just be interesting to hear a guy of the way Paul O'Neill can hit and the way he could use the bat and the way he can manipulate the barrel and just try and do things with certain pitches. Letting the ball travel in today's game, that ain't a thing no more. You know, it's, it really, it's not. It's funny. I've often wondered, you make an interesting point because I, and maybe we can have Jack on or somebody who's covered the game. Well, Jason would have been a perfect guy to have yeah. on too. Uh, because we used to always talk about, you don't hear it that much anymore. Well, we used to always talk about somebody being a professional hitter. I mean, it's just, it's, it was a real cliche thing, but you, you'd get to a certain point. Uh, I mean, the guy right now, um, Michael Brantley, 
there you would, go. would be kind of the guy. Score, and, scoreboard will dictate how he attacks. Yeah, him yeah, I mean, a guy who can do a little bit of everything, but you know, and I mean, it, it's a it's a weird. It's a weird thing, the phrase professional hitter. But we used to have this thing. We used to talk about a guy. Look at that guy's approach, man. That guy's a professional. He's a professional hitter. I don't know what a quote-unquote professional hitter would be in this game. Because so many things that guys do get taken away now. You know, I guess maybe the ability to, you know, to bust bust the shift. Hit a breaking ball? <laughs> Hit a breaking that's, ball. That's that's what I think of a professional hitter, somebody you know, that the, can do that. The one thing I've I've noticed with 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 Lourdes Gurriel, and this was earlier in the year, and I and I will admit it was Dan, it, it was Dan and Buck that tweaked me onto this. And I don't know if it's changed now. But they talked about how I've got it down here. I remember the day they I was looking at this today. It was it was in April. I want to say it was around April nineteenth or twentieth. I think it was against the it was against the Red Sox, but they were talking about how teams were playing Lourdes Gurriel Jr. straight up. Yep, because they weren't shifting with Gurriel because there was no percentage in shifting because he was. Mm-hmm. And and I was thinking that almost to me that's almost the sign. Now I think of a guy who's a professional hitter, a guy that when you see teams playing straight up, they're basically saying. Not going to pull it all the time. He's not. Now it also depends on the pitcher. I right. Maybe, it also depends on the pitcher. Maybe for me, that's that has more to do with bat path than it does. Oh, okay. No, the, that the, makes, I can see that. He, well, he moved off the plate, and his bat path now, if you've noticed, is more to right center. Whenever he takes a swing, his finish is more that way. And if I'm a khaki and I'm digging into how I'm going to try and get him out. I'm going to line people up and put people in the right position. Yeah. I'm thinking about bat path. It's not so much of where he hits a certain pitch. It's the bat path. It's which way the barrel is going because of where he stands at the plate. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's at least where I. That makes sense. But it it it, it is. It's a it's an interesting discussion and and um, you know this gets back to what we were talking about before Jack came on. Uh, you know, if baseball puts a, puts restrictions on the shift next year, I mean, again, it, it's you can only you can only dick around with stuff. Pardon my language, but you can only dick around with stuff so long before people say, "Stop it!" I just stop it. You know, stop trying to because you're going to get an extra two percent of of. People under the age of eighteen watching your game, whatever. Just stop it. It's getting to the point where I don't want it to be like it's. Baseball has an issue already with balls and strikes. We don't know what a ball and strike is. What you think is a ball ain't what I think is a ball. What you think is a strike isn't what I think is a strike. Nobody knows what the hell Angel Hernandez thinks is a strike. But and I want folks, by the way, Jeff Passan has a great article in ESPN about how baseball grades umpires. And it gets to something I've always talked about, how that that box that we put in the screen is completely useless because that's not how umpires are taught to call a game. So we get there. Oh, my God, the ball, the pitch missed the inside of the box by two inches. That's that's no, it's not. That's not how the umpires are called, are taught to look at a ball and strike. Read Passon's article. It's interesting. But what I'm saying is we've got that. That's in the nature of the game. There's always going to be a dispute about balls and strikes. But I don't want baseball to get like the NFL where we don't know what the hell a completion is now. Like, or we don't know what pass interference. What's pass interference? Anybody define pass interference for me in the NFL? I mean, it changes on a daily basis. And that's, I, I, I think at some point, baseball just has to almost have a come to Jesus moment where they say, these are the rules. 
this is where we're going, and we're not changing anything. You know, you, you know why the years. changes are is because they want more offense and football. It makes it easier to run routes. It makes it easier to catch balls. It makes it easier to score more points because scoring more points is fun I to watch. That. And people, you know what? People are going to gamble more if is there's this, more points. Is this fun to watch? But two to one games, three to two games. With, every with the every now and then, baseball and 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 break. There's got to be a reason why the season started with all high octane guys throwing more breaking balls. Why in the off season Good did play. they just show up? And start throwing more breaking balls. It didn't take a week for them to start doing that. It started before the season started. Why is that? I don't have an answer for that. I haven't sat down and asked Pete Walker that because I, I don't really know if he'd give me the answer. Yeah. He doesn't give me the answer to everything. I, it's just confusing. It's confusing to me why all of a sudden when you still have all the shifts still, you have cold weather, you have shortened spring training. You have guys throwing a bazillion miles an hour. Yet you want to spin it? You have a six-six lefty yesterday for the Yankees that threw more changeups and curveballs than he did haters. Confusing to you? It is to me. I watch a lot of baseball. That, that makes me scratch my head a lot. And if I'm a hitter and I'm trying to have an educated guess and I'm still trying to hit velocity and keep it fair, how do you do it? Yeah. You don't do it. It looks like it looks now. 590-590 is the text line. Uh, many of you have thoughts on uh, umpiring and the way the game is played. And the Jays, we will get to that as well. We've also got Barker's back leg bits. DMs are open. Though I must admit, we've already got like 15 questions for you. that We won't be able to get them all in today. But um, anyhow, DM me. My Twitter handle is SNJeffBlair. DMs are open. And, uh, you know, maybe I can, maybe you get one. Send something that grabs my attention and I can drop it on Barker. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, 590-590 is a text line. Anand in North York says, I don't know how Mr. Barker doesn't blow a gasket more often having Mr. Blair as a co-host. Well said. Anand also said, I'm driving, Lots sent from coffee. my car. That's not nice. But I read it anyhow, didn't I? See, I'll, I'll do that. I can be self-deprecating. Mm. 590, is a text line if you want to talk to uh, Barker. You can talk to me if you want, but if you want to talk to Barker. But I the, the text comes through me. So, I mean, I guess, you know, either way. Uh, reminder that Barker and myself will be doing Blue Jays talk tonight, immediately following the game. Uh, 7.07 is the first pitch. Jameson Tyone. That screams two to one final. For the Yankees. <laughs> Alec Manoa for the it Jays. Does. Yeah, it does. It screams two to one. It screams another one. I mean, it's must watch. I like, can't wait to get in front of your TV and oh, I do like watch that, six scoreless. And I, 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 yeah, I'll tell you. Occasionally, I like no, a guy. No, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I could watch Alex Manoa. Al, I could watch Alex Manoa throw six scoreless. Oh, well, yeah, I could watch Gosman. I don't mind. Here's the thing. I don't mind watching great pitchers throw six scoreless innings. I don't like poo slingers throwing. Six scoreless innings. Like, every I'm, every I'm okay. night, it's a hard I, look. It's a hard watch. Occasionally, you like yeah. to see some some ten to eight games. Yeah. So, but well, yeah, well, have we seen it? Well, we saw the eleven seven game. I mean, that was kind of messy. But 
Anyhow, you know what? It'll all, it, it's baseball. It'll all even out. Mm. Ed and Scarborough, I'm 28 years old, and the Jays I grew up with as a kid were Vernon Wells, Johnny Mack, Orlando Hudson, etc. What made me fall in love with the sport was the athleticism displayed by those guys. With the extreme shifts today, it is robbing us of amazing athleticism on display. There's no way kids are tuning into guys hitting 210, hitting into shifts. Ed and Scarborough, thanks for the text. Barker's sitting here nodding. Okay, it's a great, that's a great text by Ed. Uh, it's cheaper. Well, let's be honest on why they shift the way they do. It's cheaper. Now I can get some random pitcher, you know, in AAA who's been there for a couple of years, or I can get a young guy to say, you don't have to command. As long as you throw a bazillion miles an hour because of the shift and get it somewhat close, we're going to, we have enough smart people who can get people in, in the right defensive spots that it's cheaper for me to give you minimum wage than it is for me to go out and pay, give a, a starting pitcher $200 million to give me nine innings. Why would I do that when I can get you, you know, six or seven hard-throwing guys and I can line everybody up? How many line drives do you see hitting the game? The Jays game two nights ago, Ling is all over the place. Dude standing right there. Bo Bichette. Right there. Bo Bichette, 111 miles an hour. Right line. Look, Kirk, right I think, hit one. Yep. Somebody else hit one. It's it's sometimes. But, I, but I'm going to say that. Now, the Bichette ball, the Pena was... I think he was playing a normal shortstop position there, wasn't it? Maybe. That wasn't into a shift. It Maybe. was a normal shortstop position. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily the the shift the shift thing. I mean, all you, you know, all you have to do is look at look at the way the Jays are using the four man outfield. And why wouldn't you? Ball's not flying as hard as as far. Hitters are still trying to put balls in the air. What happens to balls in the air that don't go over the wall? They fall in. If you have somebody else out there, chances are good that they're either one going to catch it or two, be close enough to the ball that a double, a that a double that walk, becomes a single. If I'm a dude that walks to the plate and I see the second baseman running out to the right field line and I'm thinking to myself, now what do I do? I made it to the big leagues because I hammer balls in gaps. There is no gap. So now what do you do? You take pitches that you'd normally swing at, which makes bats go longer, and then you punch out more because you took a pitch you, you normally swing at and you hammer. But when you hammer it, there's a dude standing right there. Yeah, it's a, this, a okay. tough. This tough. is an intriguing question. <clears throat> and can I ask you, when you send in a text, to please include your name give you credit. and location? Because we'll give you credit. So sure. I'm going to read out this text. And if you're listening, just send along your name, and I'll give you credit. Because <clears throat> it's strangely enough, it's something... I was asked a week ago by a friend. We're just having a conversation about umpires. Why do all the umpires take turns going behind home plate? If you're not good at it, why not leave them on the bases? It's it's an interesting thought. And a format, why not have designated home plate umpires because there are, you know, you look at any of the umpire scorecards, right? There are guys you know that are pretty good home plate umpires. No one's going to be 100%, sure. but there are guys who are okay. Not sure you'd know how to pay an umpire that way to, to do a Bingo. certain game, That's, part of a game. That, how would you pay a first base umpire? But but I, I, think like, what, I think what the point is, I think what the point is, is you would have a... Oh, yeah, you would have two tiers. But you'd also, there would be motivation. Either, you know, uh, 
If you want to become a home plate umpire, you've got to go to the Motivation minors and get real good at being. You, know, you stink at it, you lose your job. How about that? It's the same as a player. You, you know what the you know what the problem with that is, uh, Steve from Milton. Thanks, Steve. You know what the problem with that is, though, is your definition of an umpire that stinks. Again, I'll tell people to go look at at Passon's article. Angel Hernandez is the worst umpire I've ever seen, other than Eric Gregg. Joe West. I mean, I, everybody has issues with Joe West. If Joe West wasn't Joe West. Joe West calls balls and strikes depending on the number on the back of the yeah, jersey. But, Let's but, be honest. Yeah, but the point is, again, he he is. But read Passon's article in ESPN. You know why Angel Hernandez keeps working? Because he doesn't grade out that badly according to the way Major League Baseball grades their umpires. He's not he's not a complete mess. It's not great, but it's, he, he he's he's not a complete mess. Morgan Sword, who is, is in the commissioner's office and is, is one of the people responsible for the implementation of all these, these things you're seeing in the minor leagues, talked about this. The automated balls and strike system that they were using in the Atlantic League last year, it doesn't work with the defined strike zone that we now have in baseball. Because this isn't, this isn't like calling an out-of-bounds an, uh, or, or a ball out of bounds on tennis. Uh, it's not like saying the serve was too long in tennis. It's not like saying the ball crossed the line in soccer because those lines are stationary. The strike zone changes with each hitter. And one of the things that they found is if you want to do this right, you have to redesign the strike zone. You've almost, it's got to be a little more oblong. And this gets back to this whole thing. We have this argument and we, we may be working with a flawed strike zone. Like, how hard is it to, to get smart people together and figure out what to do about the ball and, and, and figure out what to do about, about the strike zone? So there are all these things get in. But again, how, what's the cutoff line? If an umpire is 92% efficient, is that gone? What's the difference between 92 and 94%? So it sounds to me efficient. like they're just trying to figure out ways to warrant keeping guys at the big league level umpiring behind home plate. Oh, yeah, that, this guy grades this. Doesn't grade awful. Watch a game. You can tell good by umpire and a bad umpire. See, I disagree. You, yeah, I well, disagree. That's a, that's a, ask players. Watch games. Ask how the flow of the game was. We talk about the flow all the time. But, but here's the thing. Ask. All I, hear, all I hear from baseball players is just give me consistency. Just give me consistency. So a good umpire is a consistent umpire. That doesn't mean that he calls the right strike zone. If he's going to call, if an umpire is going to give the outer pitch all the time and is consistent with it, players are okay with that. Just let me know what you're calling today. They might have been, okay o- been okay with that yeah, 10 but years you see, ago. But this is, it's Pitching's not. different now. We, li- we live in the tyranny of that stupid freaking box that they put on the TV screen that I hate. And that I will always say. I like it. Because it dumbs down I, baseball I fans. Like, I like it. But we live I in the, yelling at everything we yeah. everything <laughs> we we judge about baseball is based on that stupid little dumbass freaking yeah. square box. I love it. It's the greatest thing ever happened to baseball. <laughs> Anyhow. Treat, Tim, treat, Tim and Hamilton. Treat an umpire Tim, just like you treat a player. If you're not good at your job, don't be a big no, league umpire. It's real simple. No, there are fewer umpires. Figure than it there out. Are fewer. Go hire more. Go pay more. No, you pay, you fewer, pay more. Who the hell wants to be more? an umpire? Oh, well, there's enough. No, they're not. League level. Apparently not. Treat them just like players. Apparently not. There's there's minor league umpires. Apparently there isn't enough. Call an umpire. Up Apparently they're not good enough. 
Tim and Hamilton, Ed's got a point. People watch sports for human excellence, not systematic efficiency. Talking about the shift. So there you go. Huh? People watch sports for human excellence, not systematic efficiency. Clifton in Etobicoke wants to weigh in. He wants to talk about Alec Manoa, tonight's starter. As well as he's pitched so far, I still think that until he shows that he can overcome that first struggle, it's hard to crown him. In other words, Clifton needs to see a couple of wobbles from Manoa. Um, mm. I mean, they keep running him out against real good teams. And he keeps... I, I, I mean, I can think back to the other young, real good young pitchers the Blue Jays have had that I covered... And I caught a little bit of Escobar, Carpenter, and Halliday, and and of course, you know Stroman, Sanchez, and, and and all those all those guys. I I need to see more of Manoa before I kind of know what he is. But I just everything that I see, I I have. I'll tell you this. I have more confidence in him early in his career than I did Halliday early in his career. No, Halliday had to go down to single A and, of course, and rebuild things. But um, I just, I, I, can, I continue the thing with, with Manoa is I just continue to be amazed at how he gets good hitters out. I mean, I can't, I can't put it any other way and how he mitigates damage. It's not a finished product. There's, there's places he can grow getting lefties out better arm speed on the changeup better location you wouldn't bet it, you, you wouldn't bet against him figuring that out real quick N- no and he still gets people out by doing it the way he's doing it what if he does figure it out how's it gonna look all right uh you know what time it is barker's back leg bits i don't know who he was praying to but barker's like get up get out of here and the guy's right at the fence like i got this one you know the umpires would throw the balls out like hey barker's up bring in the six balls we need the dead ones bring in the dead ones always reminds me of the monty python skit bring out your dead i hate john cases now no you don't (laughs) Uh, this is Barker's Back Lake Bits. You can DM your questions to moi at SN Jeff Blair. And, uh, that's I got will. me thinking. But maybe that's true. What? Maybe they did throw the dead balls at me. <laughs> it's making me wonder. Uh, boy, oh boy, there are, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people who want to weigh in on, on the umpires. Um, Joel in New Brunswick. With the robot umpire debate heating up and hitters becoming more and more frustrated about ball and strike decision-making, what if they made the decisive call of an at-bat, strike three or ball four, a challengeable play under the current coach's challenge system? This way, we don't completely take the human element and pitch framing out of the game, but we also limit the game-changing missed calls. We have seen so much already this year. I know some will argue pace of play, but it really shouldn't take that long with the technology they already have in place at the minor league level. Thoughts? Have you seen how long it takes people to figure out whether a dude is safe or out at a bag? Uh, on a base, I it gets back to yeah. holding an umpire to a to a higher level. Yeah, you and, shouldn't and, have to do that all the time. No, and, yeah, and I'm I'm with Kevin in that, Joel. And, and I also I I will say this again, I I just I video review is here to stay. I don't like coaches' challenges. I, I just don't. I don't like coaches' challenges. I would rather. It, it's like you, you can't be half pregnant. If you're going to have video review, then. Everything is reviewable, and it's reviewable by an umpire. Again, I've already said this, up at the press level, communicating with the umpires down on the field. Guys, we took a look at that. It's a fair ball. All right, guys, we took a look at that. He was out at second. That's fine. I don't mind that. I don't like challenges. 
I don't like challenges. They're sort they're sort of tell you telling you without telling you. Well, what, what's the point in having umpires if if everything is challengeable? Matthew Mac oh, Matthew McAnanama. Jeez, sorry, Matthew. That's a that's a hard name. M C A N A N A M A. Dude, buy a consonant. Anyhow, uh, Matthew McAnanan McAnanama. Uh, obviously the hockey, obviously the hockey, Matthew, (laughs) obviously the hockey playoffs impacted attendance, but should Jay's management be worried about 18,000 fans at a Yankees game? Um, you touched on, I mean, it it was mentioned last night on social media. Uh, A couple of Yankees, uh, folks that I follow on social media tweeted out the attendance and said, Hmm, a little small, smaller than we expected, but there's a hockey game up the road. Um, there's only... Attendance is going to vary throughout the year. And of course, when the weather's warmer and the roof's open, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. There's only one thing I ever do when attendance is announced. Now, obviously, you're looking at places like Oakland and all that, and we've got separate issues. I always look at attendance for the first home game and how much the drop-off is for the second home game. Because everybody wants to go to the home opener. Everybody wants to go to the home opener. My concern is always after the home opener. What is game two? If game two is good, you're going to have a pretty good year. People like your team. If game two goes from like 40,000 to 15,000, you got to wonder. Remember, too, it's Jordan uh, Jordan Montgomery and Ross Stripling. Yeah. If that would have been Garrett Cole and, and Alec Manoa. No. Even, even if the... I, did, I just... You know what? Well, we'll have this... I don't think pitching matchups sell tickets. Nobody knows that ahead of time. Like It might, it might affect single game sales, but listen, I saw... Take a look at what attendance was here when Roger Clemens is winning Cy Young Awards. I don't people don't come out. I don't think to buy a matchup. Anyhow, opening day forty five thousand twenty two at the Rogers Center. You get that right. Second day forty three thousand three hundred eighty six at the Rogers Center. Third game thirty one thousand five forty nine. The answer is I don't think they are at all concerned about eighteen thousand uh, for a Yankees game. Um, if this team continues to be good and they think it yeah. will be September, they'll make up all the money they need to make up for games like. Last night. Yeah. No, I, 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 I That's agree. good question. I, I will admit, though, 18,000, I kind of, I scratched my head a bit, and then I had to, you know, I, I take a step back a bit and think about, uh, and, uh, and, and, and think about, think about things. Jason Bingley, Jason from Vancouver, wants to know if the Jays should take a shot at Robinson Cano. They got enough dudes who can't hit. I need another one. <laughs> there you play. go. Hey, I mean, let's be honest. He's got one. I looked it up. He's got one hit to the pull side. Yeah, he, he he maybe it's because he ain't using what he was using four, five, six years ago, and getting the head out when you're 39. Just because he's left-handed, I'm left-handed. Maybe I should give him a call. Yeah, listen, they will. Uh, we've talked about this. I think at some point you will see another. Um, at some point you'll see another left-handed bat in here. It's not going to be an everyday player. I think that the trade deadline, you'll see them make an acquisition. They got Zimmer, they got Tapia. That's two lefties. Tapia is to... the dude that Tapia is here. And they, maybe they get another guy in there. But, I mean, it's – I said this yesterday. It's where are you going to start the lefty right now? Santiago Espinal is your second baseman. He's won the second base job. It doesn't matter. There's nobody – I mean, unless they go out and get – pick a an all-star left-hand hitting second baseman – Espinal's your second baseman. So where does that lefty bat go? Teo comes back. Teo, I mean, there's no place for him. Maybe behind the plate in some sort of platoon, but there's no place. If your team is 29th with runners in scoring position, that one little lefty ain't going to help none. 
No, that's a good point. Larry, but better, better, I, better get I, a we're on the same page. I think we're on the same page with this team right now. I expect to see another pitcher was swinging my stuff in the bullpen, and I expect to see some sort of left-handed bat before this team goes into the playoffs. I'm not doesn't have to be a huge, but somebody that can maybe give me a good four at bats is the DH, a lefty DH, somebody that I can plug in to maybe break up uh, the, this run of of of. Of, of right-handed hitters. That's it. Uh, beyond that, you know, give me an arm at the back of the bullpen that can strike somebody out. And and I think that's where you're we are. all over it, Jeff Blair. Well, you, do you agree with me? You can never have too much pitching. And they don't have a ton of swing and miss stuff. Yamana, yep. Trevor Richards. Yeah. Balls in play. That's it for us today. We will be back tomorrow from 10 to noon Eastern time. Do not forget, Jays and Yankees, 707 tonight. First pitch, Manoa, Tyone. Going to be lots of good pitching down at the Rogers Center. Blue Jays talk with Blair and Barker will be immediately following the game. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.